We're back in the book of James, so go ahead and open up to the book of James, chapter 4 in particular. And last week, as you know, that I was out of town during the week and got back for the service, but thankful again to Brother Jerry Nash for opening the Word for us and pointing us to Christ, pointing us to be like Paul and just to have a confidence and the one who has saved us, a confidence in who we believe in, a confidence of where we're going because of His grace. So I'm thankful for that. If you're, if you're new with us, uh, what we tend to do is we try to go through books of the Bible. And so we've been going through the book of James. And we have probably today and two more sermons, and then we'll be back in the Old Testament. Uh, and I haven't decided exactly which book we'll be in yet. So I am taking um, suggestions, not in that box, in my office if you are interested to make some suggestions. Um, But for now, we're in the book of James. And just as a way of reminder, since it's been a couple weeks, uh, we have James, who's been writing, half-brother of Jesus. He talked to us about testing our faith, about hearing and doing the Word. We don't want to be someone that forgets the Word of God. We want to hear the Word of God, and then we want to go do it. Talked about showing partiality, that we shouldn't be showing partiality, that under in Christ, we are all equal, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, does not matter. We saw that our faith without works is dead. Felt uncomfortable for a little bit. There was such an emphasis on the works there. But again, just like we talked about with the hose that has kinks in it, the, the, if the source is there, the water will come out. If the faith is there, the works will come. They don't save you, but they will come out. We talked about taming the tongue, and that was a fun week together. Those are the type of works... We don't want. But again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. We've talked about wisdom coming from above. That was, it's the theme of our whole book, this practical wisdom from above, the New Testament book of Proverbs, if you will. And the last time I was able to preach to you and to myself, we were in four and we were talking about the warning against worldliness. If you are friends with the world... You're an enemy of God. And that doesn't mean that we're not trying to reach those who don't know Him. No, we're to be reaching them. But our lives cannot look like the world. If it does, there's a big disconnect. There's a big problem. And the way to, com- to combat that is to draw near to God. And in return, James says, He'll draw near to us. So that takes us into our text today. That Megan read, thank you again. So let's do like we normally do. We're going to work through the text one verse at a time and try to find out what God has for us this morning. So, James chapter 4, starting in verse 11. He just said, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Talking about, just before that as well, our sin, and we need to mourn and weep about our sin. Let our, our mourning, our laughter return to mourning, our joy to gloom, in the sense of that we take our sin seriously and we want to repent of our sin. Okay, And then he leads here. Verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Right off the bat, maybe he's not talking to Christians. But what's the last word there? Brothers. Who's he talking to? Christians. And since God's word is always living and active, it's timeless, that means... As one pastor put it, it's timeless, so it's always timely. So that means it's living and active, so he's speaking to us. Brothers and sisters, if you're a believer, do not speak evil against one another. 
Listen to what he says. The one who speaks evil or speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. When I first read that, I was like, what? I don't, I don't know. That, that was confusing to me. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother is the same as speaking evil against the law and judging the law. Now, what law is being talked about here? Now, we know we have the law of the Old Testament. Okay? Turn with me real quick to Leviticus 19. It should be up here on the screen. Leviticus 19. This whole section is talking about love your neighbor as yourself. This whole section of Leviticus. And specifically... I want to read 17 and 18 to you. Leviticus 19, 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The reason we love our neighbor as ourselves is he is the Lord. We follow him. We've been given love. Now, where have you heard that repeated? Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew, Matthew 22. Quickly go there. I want to set the context for you in these couple passages. Matthew 22. 37 through 40. Someone comes to him, verse 36 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with... Go ahead and say it for me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your... Okay, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, those two things, depend all the law and the prophets. Here's what I want to submit to you. What James is talking about is how Jesus has just summarized that. Loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what James is talking about. So, when you speak harshly, speak evil against your neighbor, you're speaking evil against that law. Love God with everything you have, and specifically, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? That's what we're speaking against when we, as Christians in particular, but of course everyone, speak against our brother. We're speaking evil against the law, and we're judging the law. Listen how this fleshes out in verse 11. He says, But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Okay. Have my little board here. This is Monopoly Junior. Okay? How many of you have played Monopoly? Show of hands real quick. I, I knew that was the game to go with. Was there anybody who hasn't? Okay, well, you don't count. You're really young. <laughs> You've played Monopoly Junior, perhaps. Okay. I knew that was the game to go with. Okay. When you play Monopoly, how many of you, when you play Monopoly, if you, if you have to pay taxes or you have to do something, you put money in the center of the game, and then when you land on free parking, you get that money? How many of you played that way ever? Some. Oh, yeah, about half. How many of you say you have to go one time around the board before you can start buying property? Does anyone play that way? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, first of all, Monopoly, I'm not sure it's a gift from the Lord. It is a, it is a long game. Yeah, that's, a, that's fair. Only in hurricanes. But here's the thing. What's interesting is you know there is a set of rules for Monopoly, right? There are a set of rules. The free parking thing where you put the money and then you get it later, not part of the rules. There's some of you in here who are really good rule followers. I don't know who I'm talking about there, some of you. But you know that rule. But a lot of us will just play that way. Because we've been told that or we've decided it's better to do it that way. There's also those who say, you know, you're not suppo- you, you are free to buy on the first round according to the rules. But to make it fair, sometimes we say, well, go ahead and go around and then you'll buy. Okay, he's like, what are you talking about Monopoly? Here's the point. There's rules that are set. Why don't we follow them? Why don't we just follow the rules of the game? Instead, we develop house rules where we play our own way. Now, in Monopoly, we're free to do that. It's not that big of a deal. The problem is, and get with me on this, I think we do the same thing with the Word of God. I think we do the same thing with God's law. We're like, yeah, I like that law. I'm going to follow that law. Now, let me be clear on this. We don't follow the law so Jesus will love us, so God will love us, right? That's not why we do it. Who followed the law perfectly? Who's the one individual that followed... You've you got to get this right. Who's the one individual that, that ever obeyed the law perfectly? Jesus. Jesus, right? Who was supposed to obey the law perfectly? Everybody. We're all supposed to, but none of us do. Jesus does, so thus he's sinless. Thus, when he goes on the cross and he dies in our place for our sins, he's that perfect sacrifice, the death we should have died, right? Okay, now, we obey the law... Not so that we can add some type of grace or some type of righteousness, but it is still what God desires. Not the Old Testament full law of Israel, because that's a little bit different. That's talking about the people of Israel. But, love the Lord your God with everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? That carries over. But sometimes, in particular, definitely, there's some parts where loving God with everything we have, yeah, I'll love you with everything except maybe my money, my time, other things. That's true, but we're going to set that aside for today. The part where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, that one we really like to be choosy on. <laughs> the areas where I agree. Oh, you roll doubles three times, you can go to jail in Monopoly. Well, maybe I'll hold to that one. Maybe I won't. Oh, I'll serve somebody as long as it doesn't inconvenience me. Is that in there? Is that, is that, is that anywhere in the scripture where it says, hey, if it doesn't inconvenience you, you should serve? No, nah, not in there. Well, I might give as long as I, you know, get a scratch off and I get some extra money, then I'll give. Is that what it says? No. But here's the thing in particular. There are things that we, there's part of the law that we're willing to follow because we're comfortable with it. Part of the law is it's a mirror to show us our sin, to show us our need. And part of it is if we are following love God with everything and love our neighbors ourselves, one, that is a blessing to everybody who's there, and two, it makes a difference to the world. They say, how can these people who disagree so much love one another? And they say, wow. But here's the thing, and I know you guys have heard this. When Christians pick and choose which parts of the Bible they want to follow, and the world sees that, you know what word they use? It starts with an H. Hypocrite. The church is full of those hypocrites. Now, if they mean by hypocrite that we're a bunch of sinners and we know it, and that we're saved by God's grace, and we know that, and we don't think that we're better than anyone else, but we do at times still keep sinning 
not a lifestyle of sin, but we still fall in sin, but we're still forgiven and we love one another. If they mean hypocrite, then I say, I'm a hypocrite. Because that's not being a hypocrite. You're saying you don't have it all figured out. But if they mean you say you're a Christian, but you obey some of the things that Jesus says, and you're really loud about some of the things that Jesus was loud about, and you agree with him there, but when it comes over here, you're pretty quiet. You don't back up Jesus' Jesus' words on other areas. You don't follow certain areas. Or your life may be in the church, you're very godly. And you read your Bible and you're here with everybody. But then, Monday through Saturday, you're a different person. If they mean hypocrite by that, guess what? I don't want to be that hypocrite. I don't want to be that hypocrite. And I don't want you to be either. So, getting back in the text here, here's what James is saying. I believe he's saying when you start to change the rules, when you start deciding which ones you're going to change, you're no longer a doer of the law. You're a judge of the law. You're saying, I decide. And he's saying that's not right. And in particular, he's saying when you speak evil against one another, I mean, one of the Ten Commandments here, don't bear false witness, right? When you start spreading gossip, backbiting, slander, you're speaking harshly to people, about people, what you're saying is, I'm, I'm going to follow this area, but I'm not going to follow Jesus in that area. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself where it's comfortable to me, but I'm not going to do it in other areas. And ultimately, I think what James is saying to us, then you don't get it. You're trying to make yourself the judge of the law, and you need to submit. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. How many? Who is it? Yeah, it's God. It's Jesus. That's it. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So some will take this way too far. Way too far. And here's what we'll do with it. We'll take it way too far and we'll say, so I'm just going to do my own thing in my own life and you do your own life and that's it. We won't judge one another. We won't talk about that. Okay, well then we have a problem. Galatians 6.1. It should come up on the screen. Galatians 6.1. Listen to this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... What's transgression mean? Sin. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, wait a second. I'm not supposed to judge here, right? But right now, if somebody's in sin, I'm supposed to help restore them in gentleness. What's going on? Matthew 18. If a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. First thing. We got to get better at that. Someone sins against you. What does scripture say? Go to them. Go to them alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I went to Roy one on one. He didn't respond. Taking George, taking Pete, we're going back. I'm going to say, Roy. You're speaking harshly to Susan. He's not really. This is just an example. You're speaking harshly to Susan. 
I've, I've, I've said that I've, I've asked you about it. I've prayed before coming. I've checked the speck in my own eye. I've asked you about it. And you're saying, no, I'm not. Mind your own business. I bring these two brothers. We go together and we say, we love you. Please repent of this. If he refuses to listen, or, uh, yeah, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You know what that means? That's using language of non-believer. So now he says he's a Christian. I went to him. He won't repent. We went to him together. He won't repent. We put him before the church. He still won't repent. We're saying, please stop speaking harshly to your wife. It's against Scripture. The, re- the way he will not repent. And so what's being said here is, then you must not be a believer. I don't see how, how you could be. We don't see how you could be. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two, two of you agree on earth about anything and they ask, it will be done for them. For were two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. One more place. 1 Corinthians 5. Give you, real quick here, 9 through 12. There's sexual immorality going on in the church. Listen to what Paul says. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexual moral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters, since they would, then you would need to go out of the world. What did he say right there? Don't have anything to do with those people, but, but not those who are in the world that are that way. Those who are in the world that way, we're actually supposed to still be with. Why? Because then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone, check it out, who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Wow. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? You hear what he's saying? We don't judge those who who people say they're not Christians. We don't say I'm not going to eat with you because you're a gossip or whatever. They don't know Jesus yet. We have to eat with them. Who did Jesus eat with? Right? And we've been there. Hopefully you understand that you've been there. Paul talks about that type of language. We were children of wrath at one point too. Then God's grace saves us. So it's not that we say, well, we're not going to have anything to do with the world and become, you know, go off and live on some plantation by ourselves and never talk to anybody again. That's not the plan. The plan is if they don't know Jesus, we go out to them and we say, hey, let me show you another way. Let me tell you about a great Savior. What Paul's talking about here is he's saying those who bear the name brother For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? What a statement. God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So this individual, they end up, if you know the story, it seems that they end up putting him outside the church. And we think in 2 Corinthians, as they talk about, Paul says, okay, let him back in, he's repented. We think it's talking about this guy. That's what it is. You don't just do it to be mean to somebody. You put them outside hoping that they will repent and come back. Now, here's the problem. I thought we're not supposed to judge. Right? Go, go back to our passage in James. James 4. But who are you to judge your neighbor? But those other passages I just read to you, that's making judgments about somebody. Do you see the tension? Are you tracking with me? What do we do? I think what James is saying here is we take into account those other passages... 
I think he's saying this type of judgment is where we're judging people's motives and we're judging them based on their preferences, perhaps. Maybe they prefer something differently and we're judging them saying you're wrong for liking that or desiring that. Not something that's against God's word, but it's a preference. Or things are happening and we're judging their motives and we don't even know what's going on in their hearts. And then definitely we're judging them by speaking harshly about them, right? If, if there's a, a sin that goes on, if I see something about Roy, the loving thing to do, the biblical thing to do is go talk to him about it. Where I'm starting to make myself a judge is now, did you notice all those pastors? Go to him, go talk to them, talk to this individual, do it as a church, right? Not go gossip about it down at the post office. Now I'm making myself a judge like that. And I'm talking about a situation that I haven't even talked to Roy about. It's nobody else's business. It may become the church's business if he doesn't repent. But if he does, guess what? We've gained our brother. There's no problem. You see that? So when we're doing that, when we do it that way, what we're saying ultimately is that we're speaking evil about the law and we're judging the law. Let's not be a people who does that. All right, moving on. Verse 13, he makes a shift here. James makes a shift. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. George, is it okay to trade and make profit? Yes. Yes. How many of you think that James has an issue with making profit or trading goods? How many of you are like, yeah, that's what he's talking about. It's a sin to make any money. No, that's not what he's saying here. He is not saying that. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town, spend a year there, do this, do that. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Right? You're a mist. Your life, I love you, I'm your pastor, I love you, you're a mist. That's all you are. If this is all we are, what James is saying here, who are you to say how things are going to go? Who are you to say how things are going to go? We're going to today or tomorrow, we're going to go do this. I'm going to live there a year. I'm going to trade this. I'm going to make profit there. Aren't you bold? Guess you got it all figured out. Got the whole world in your hands. You can do whatever you want to. Nope. Just a mist. It's not that he's saying don't make plans. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Instead, if the Lord wills. You ever met somebody who says that all the time? It's almost like it kind of feels awkward sometimes. They're like, yeah, I'm going to go to the bathroom if the Lord wills. <laughs> you could do that. But they're thinking biblically. A couple things happen when we constantly think and say if the Lord wills. And this was huge in the cultures we were in in the past, the context there with Muslims. They actually have a strong, a high view, some will call it, of God's sovereignty. I said they go too far, it actually. 
where they, God makes everyone's sin. He makes these things happen at times, some would believe. But they'll always say, ni alasona, which was in Bomber for if God wills, at the end of whatever they're talking about. Or maybe some of you have heard in the Arabic, inshallah, type thing. That's all that's saying is, if God wills, in Arabic. What's interesting is they have a great understanding of God is sovereign. What he decides goes. And what we do when we say, I'm going to do this without saying, basically, I'm going to check with the boss, make sure the boss is okay, we're putting ourselves in the place of the boss. For some of you men, this is like when you try to make plans at home. And you're like, yeah, we're going to go fishing this weekend. Yeah, I'm going fishing. And you haven't talked with your wife yet. And then, no. It's a little different. It's different. But there's some similarities. But now listen, so seriously, this is, this is interesting because what it does is to the non-believer, those who don't know anything about the Bible, don't know anything about Scripture, don't know anything about God, when you're saying, if God wills, I'm going to do this or that, you know what that's teaching them? God's the one who's in control. You know there's a lot of people who don't know that God's in control. He is, but they don't know that. Part of it is when we say those things, we are teaching people that God really is in control. If it's other believers, we're encouraging them in the faith. We're teaching one another. We're reminding them. If Alice wants to do something, she's going to do something with her business, and she has a plan, if the Lord wills. And I've heard her say that before, if the Lord wills. It's a reminder to one another that, hey, I know things are tough right now. That doctor's appointment that's coming, I hope that the answer is what you want, if the Lord wills. Because it may not be, and guess what? In that scenario, that means the Lord didn't will that, and he's going to do something different. It's going to be like we talked about in early James. It's probably going to be a trial he's going to take you through to make your faith more steadfast. But I'm reminding you that the Lord is still in control. And then it reminds us because sometimes we waver and i don't know my faith feeling a little weak I'm up on my foot here and i'm getting nervous but if i'm constantly in the mindset of if the lord wills then i know he's sovereign if i know he's sovereign and controls everything then i also need to remind myself what that he's also good is god good all the time yes. is he holy yes. is he powerful yes. okay if he's all those things then we can trust him then we can trust him with anything And when I'm starting to waver on that, I need you to come and tell me if the Lord wills. You can trust Him with anything. Okay? Almost done here. Proverbs 27.1 speaks about this briefly. Listen to this. Should be on the screen. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day will bring. Again, Old Testament wisdom, don't boast about it. We have no idea necessarily. Proverb or sorry, Psalm ninety twelve. This one I really want you to see. Psalm ninety twelve. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We may get a heart of wisdom. We know that wisdom, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. We understand that if we fear the Lord, understand His holiness, who we are, that's where wisdom begins. We ask God for more wisdom, and apparently, according to the psalmist, if we 
number our days, we will get a heart of wisdom. If these marbles represent my days on this earth, there's a certain limit. Problem is, I don't know how many I've grabbed. Each day is passing. Brothers and sisters, we know those who have departed faster than they expected. It's what we were talking about. They don't know. We never know how many days we have. Let me ask you this question. What if I told you you have seven days left? If God revealed that to you, what would your life look like? Would it look the same? Would you be worrying about the things you're worrying about? Would you be focused on the things you're focused on? Or would it look drastically different? Would it look drastically different? Would you be more loving? Would there be somebody that's out there that you have something with that you need to go take care of? I think many of us would. I think we really would. Because ultimately... At some point, it's over. And the thing is, we don't know when that is. And so what, what we're hearing there is we're just a mist. And we need to number those days so we can have a heart of wisdom and know how to interact with people. What's important and what's not important. I promise you, a Netflix binge of making sure you've caught up on all the, the newest things is not that. I'm not saying Netflix is the worst thing ever. I'm not saying you can't watch it from time to time. What I am saying is, is it really that important? Is it really that important? Back into James. We're going to finish up. I know I keep saying that. Most of you know me. That just means I'm just going to keep talking. But listen to, what it, listen to how it ends here. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. If you think you're just in control, if you think you just control everything, it's actually arrogance. It's actually pride. And what do we hear about pride? What does God do with those who are proud? Resists, he opposes. Instead, let's submit ourselves to God and say, God, whatever you have, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to number my days. I know I'm just a mist. And I want to do something with my life that will echo in eternity. Because that goes away quickly. And here's what I'm afraid we do. We try to grab at our life. And it's a mist. And Jesus actually says the opposite. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake. That's what he says. Verse 17, so whoever, last verse, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him is sin. Two ideas here. There's the sins of commission, the things that you do wrong. We're really good at knowing in the Bible, and oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. If I do that, that's a sin. This one's trickier. This one's trickier. Sins of omission. It's the stuff that we should be doing that we're not doing. And I think that's linked to this whole passage to keep it in context is there's things that we should be doing with loving God with everything we have that we're not doing. It's not sin in our mind, but it is if you know you should be doing it. And then there's things with our neighbors that, well, I didn't murder them. I'm not even... I'm not even talking about them. I'm not even gossiping about them. I don't even do that. But what are you supposed to be doing? Seeking peace 
loving them, serving them. This is what James is talking about. But there's hope. I'll close with this. There's hope. You know what? Jesus died for every single sin of commission. When we commit adultery, when we lie, when we steal, all those things. Jesus died for every single one of those. And there's forgiveness there. Sins of omission, the things we should be doing that we're not doing. We know we should be. Sharing the gospel with people. God gives us an opportunity and what do we do? Uh, even that sin, Jesus dies for it. He died for that too. So the hope is found in the fact that no matter where we are on any of this stuff, if we cry out to Him and say, will you forgive me? If we confess our sins, He's faithful to what? Forgive us. Right? Cleanse us. That's what the Spirit does. Gives us this new heart and now we're ready to obey. Application. Let's number our days. Let's realize that this life is just a vapor. Just a mist. Let's realize that there's stuff we should be doing and it's time that we start doing it. Let's realize that we don't want to be just, we don't want to be judges of the law. We want to be doers, not so that Jesus will love us, but because he already does. Let's be kind to one another. If you don't know Jesus, there's no expectation for you to keep all this in one sense because you can't. You cannot submit to the Holy Spirit and be used by the Holy Spirit because you don't have the Holy Spirit. When I was talking this week and sharing the gospel, which we rejoice in the fact that our, uh, Wanda is our sister in the faith now, I said to her, now she's lived here her whole life. I said, what does it mean to be a Christian? She said, well, I'm not one because I haven't been baptized and I don't go to church. I need you to understand that that's not what a Christian is. Yes, if you're a Christian, you should be baptized, if you can be. And you should definitely be with the body. You are part of the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. When I explained that Jesus' death in our place for our sins, he takes our sin. Or, yeah, he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And this is a gift of grace. She said, I want that grace. I want to be made new. What's incredible to me, she's lived her whole life, and you know what she said? I've never heard this before. Now again, we pray for the nations because again, what we're talking about, they don't have access to it. There's access here if people know. There's access here if we go. Let's be faithful to get out there. Guys are doing great. God is working. Let's keep pushing. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are thankful for the fact that you give us your word and you do not leave us to our, ourselves. We are thankful for the fact that in Christ Jesus we are all one. We are thankful for the fact that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit we can, we can truly be those who desire to obey the law because we love you. Jesus, you said that if we love you, we will obey you. And Lord, we want to obey you. We want to love you with everything we have, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we want to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we know that the only way to do that is being full of your spirit and understanding your word. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to repent today. If there's areas we need to, to change, sins of commission, sins of omission, Lord, help us to repent and, and, and turn from that. But Lord, also, if we have anyone in here today who's not there yet, 
They don't understand these things because they don't have God's Spirit. Make to, Lord, I pray they would cry out to you. Because you are worthy. You are wonderful. You make us new. We know our life is a vapor. It's a mist. Help us to number our days, Lord. Help us to do things that will echo in eternity and not things that just get burned up because they were meaningless. I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters. I'm thankful that they're here. Please work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Comment about that mist. The okay. Lord just gave me the insight of there was a lovely fragrance after you sprayed, and I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful as we pass on that we have left a lasting fragrance? Mm. Amen. Especially if you use essential oils. No, that, that, <laughs> that's true. No, that's, that's, a, that's a great word. Hey, if our life is a mist, may it be a pleasant aroma to everybody else. Amen. Amen.